Please remain standing for the reading of God's word, 2 Peter, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, give us the heart to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Give us the desire to make every effort to grow up in our faith, and give us insight as to how we should do that from this passage this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. How many of you want to be unproductive and ineffective? Raise your hands. Anybody? Nobody wants to be ineffective and unproductive. I'll tell you that One of my big fears is getting up in the pulpit and being ineffective and unproductive. Wouldn't it be fun on some Sunday morning if I just said, hey, you come do this and let you have that fear too. Because frankly, no matter how uh, well anyone preaches, it's only God who by his spirit makes his word alive and impresses it on their heart and changes things. We're utterly dependent upon him. We don't want to be ineffective and unproductive. Now, this passage says, these things, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, you grow in these qualities. As we go through the list, as you grow in these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, oh, oh, okay, I've got that. 
I don't want to be ineffective and unproductive in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I have different slices of my life. It's picture your life as a, a pie chart. And you have your work. You want to be effective and productive there. You have your family. You want to be effective and productive there. You have your, your hobbies, your leisures, your, your pastimes. You, you really want to enjoy those. And you have your faith, the religious part of your life. And so you want to be effective and productive there. That's not what we're talking about. You will not be effective and productive if that's your approach to your faith. Because it's not just one slice of your life. When you organize your life in that way, who's at the center? You are. And you come to church and you're a good church person. You, you may teach Sunday school. You may lead. You may uh, help. You may do acts of service and think, I've got that slice down. And then tomorrow morning you go to work and it's just a totally different category. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about our lives being under the lordship of Christ. He is at the center of every part of our lives. And we do step from uh, Sundays coming to church to Mondays going to school, going to work, to uh, our hobbies, our sports, our pastimes. And we want to be effective in those things, but every one of them come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be effective and productive in your faith in every area of life? Well, to be effective and productive, we have to ask, well, what is it we're going for? How do we measure that? What is your destiny? I mean, that's almost such a big question. It's trite, and it just passes over our heads. What's your destiny? Let me put it this way. Where will you be 100 years from now? And do you live your life now in the light of where you'll be a hundred years from now. First, uh, Peter. You know, Peter wrote both of these uh, letters. You know, leave it to your study Bibles right now. We may go to it, into it in a later message to talk about how Second Peter was actually written by Peter. Uh, you know, many of the scholars have tried to attribute the second letter to someone else who just uh, took on the pseudonym uh, of Peter. But Second Peter was written by Peter too. In First Peter. He establishes uh, a basic orientation to whom he is writing. In 1 Peter, he says in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout all these various places. I believe it was the ESV translation that translated it more uh, precisely, uh, word for word, when it said to God's elect exiles of the dispersion or the diaspora. Interesting. We've been uh, in a series in Daniel, and in Daniel, uh, the overview uh, heading for that series was how to live in a pagan world without becoming pagan. And now in Peter, he's applying consciously uh, the uh, images from that Old Testament uh, experience. Exiles of the diaspora. The diaspora was the scattering of the, of the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, throughout the Assyrian Empire, never to return. The exile was the southern kingdom taken off into Babylon in exile. Peter is saying, we live in this world, 
the way they lived in the diaspora as exiles in Babylon, scattered, wanting to be restored to their home. That's just an earthly picture of the way we live in this life. We are passing through, but it's more than just tourists passing through. We are residents, but temporary residents here. We're living here as exiles from the Garden of Eden, exiles from the holy presence of God that is uh, described to us as, as heaven. And we're headed to the new heaven and the new earth when God restores everything as he restored the exiles uh, in the Old Testament uh, back to Jerusalem. We are exiles of the diaspora. And our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And I ask you, what is your destiny? Uh, this picks up in the middle of a thought in verse 19. It says, their destiny is destruction. How many of you thought, hey, my destiny is destruction? Nobody thought that. You didn't think that, did you? Next one hits a little closer to home. Their God is their stomach. Hmm. What do we hunger and thirst for? Is it just for the things that satisfy the here and now, our appetites here and now? And their glory is in their shame. And we look at our culture and are distressed by that. Instead of being ashamed of things that are really wrong, their glory is in their shame. And think, I, I can put an arm's length between me and that. I, I don't do that. But look at the last one. Their mind is on earthly things. What is your mind on? Now, we do have a mind for earthly things, but there's a difference between having our mind on earthly things alone as they are ends in themselves. You do want to be effective and productive in your work. You should. In your school, you should. Even in your play, your sports, you should. Those are right desires, but not if they are ends in themselves. We are stewards of our lives passing through. We have all these responsibilities under God's lordship, and we do all that we do with all of our might to his glory. See, he's in the center of that pie chart. And so we want to please him. We want to do our best in those various areas of life. And so we have a mind for earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is your destiny? There are only two places, heaven or hell. We almost hate to say it. And you can say in your, you know, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm, not, I'm kind of, I'm here because for other reasons. My parents dragged me here. Or my spouse dragged me here. Or I was just here because I thought I ought to go to church. Or I came, I can't believe this pastor actually talked about hell. I don't believe in hell. That's, that's okay. I don't believe in taxes. <laughs> Doesn't make them not a fact. Where will you be a hundred years from now? Big thought. How equipped are you for the journey? Well, before we go to that, I just want to point out the end of our passage and read it again. 
in uh, Second Peter, verse uh, chapter one, verse eleven, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What do we do with our cell phones when we want to get somewhere? We put the destination into the navigator, and then we find the routes to get there. Right. You put the wrong destination in, and the directions are wrong. If you put in the destination things that are only to be effective here and now, then your guide, your inward guide for how to go about it, will lead you astray. And the end of that is destruction. But if you put your destination where your citizenship is through Jesus Christ, and that is heaven and the the life to come, You'll have different directions for this life. Okay, that's your destination. How equipped are you for the journey? In verses 1 through 4 tell us about what God has given us. In verse 1 it says, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have reached a faith as precious as, have received a faith as precious as ours. It did not say have reached a faith. Faith is not our attainment. Faith is not that we're smarter than the other people, so we turned and and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because we were spiritually astute and they are not. That is not the point. We've received a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith as precious as ours. Peter, who was with Jesus himself, who was discipled by Jesus, who did miracles in Jesus' name, who, yes, was humbled when he disowned Christ, but was restored by Christ. And he said, when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than everybody else loves me? And Peter said, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He said it three times. Peter, who is with Christ, says, you've received a faith that's as precious as ours. Wow, that's pretty special. We're given faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're, you're cynical and you're, you're not uh, yet uh, one who belongs to the Lord Jesus, you're responsible for your response to Jesus. You're doing what you want to do, and God's not making you not believe in him. But if you do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't attribute that to your own giftedness, your own ability. Praise God for the gift of faith. And if he can do it for you, he can do it for the person sitting next to you as well. It's not that you're smarter. It's the gift of God. It goes on beyond that in verse you know, 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. We don't usually think that way. We have attitude problems because our parents had problems and didn't treat us right. We have attitude problems because our spouse, as Adam said way back at the beginning, this woman you gave me. We have attitude problems because our children don't respect us the way they should. We have attitude problems because at work they're just not fair, they're not just, they're not right. We have attitude problems because we, have, we don't have the physical ability, our health is failing us. We have, we have all these problems because of all these things. We think that God has not given us what we need to really have godly 
uh, godly attitude. This passage says that God has given us everything we need to handle every one of those circumstances. Because what is set before us is an eternal glory that cannot be taken away through faith in Jesus Christ. And those sufferings are just temporary. Do we live a life of praise to God? A life of doxology, that's what praise to God is. In those circumstances, that's when your, your light shines the brightest. And God called us to this by his own glory and goodness. We're not crashing the party. God called us in. He knows us by name. Isn't that special? That is, that is great. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What do we have that is everything we need for life and godliness? We have the promises of God. You might think, well, wait a minute, that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was the here and now blessing, not the promises of God about the future. What I wanted is the here and now relief, not the promise of God that he is our ever-present help in time of trouble. We didn't want the time of trouble. We have the promises of God that he's with us now. He cares for us now, loves us now, and he's taking us to glory. And that equips us for every circumstance. You believe that? Well, how do we get there? We still have to ask our our, uh, what our heart's desire is. This is, says, says, so that you may participate in the divine nature, meaning that our new nature, the nature he gives us, resonates with God and his will. We delight in that. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you really want to escape your evil desires? Do you want to escape your anger, escape your greed, escape your lust, escape? Do you want to escape those things or are those kind of, those are still kind of fun on the side? What's your heart's desire? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? You see, if you can get the motivation there, then you'll pay attention to the how-to, the instructions. Often, people will say to to us in the pulpit, give us the the how-to's. We want the application. We want to know how. And we're saying, we do want to get there. We want you to know who God is, what he has done for us in the grace of Christ, the power that he has given us in the Holy Spirit and the, the gospel that has made us new creatures. Now we get to the how. This is a passage that's a how. How to grow as Christians. How to grow up as Christians. For this very reason, make every effort make every effort start there what do you make your every effort to do those who love sports get this it it was in sports that i learned you give 110 percent and they didn't care about math class 110 percent i do everything i can plus i keep on giving more make every effort to add to your faith. You see, you've already been given faith. You've received faith. How do we grow up? Add to your faith goodness. What is goodness? Well, the, the Greek word is much like the, uh, the English word. You can say, this is a good knife. It means it's good for the purpose for which it was made. 
That's a good car. It's reliable. It gets you from one place to the next. That's a good car. Are you a good human being created in the image of God to love him and to glorify him? Are you a good human being? Do you add to your faith goodness? Now, here's the thing. When we become Christians, we already know there's certain messes in our lives. We don't know everything. There was a little book when, that was uh, familiar to me in my teenage years. I think it's still around, My Heart, Christ's Home. How many of you have heard of My Heart, Christ's Home? Yeah, I see a number of folks have. And in that is the illustration of just inviting Christ into your home. That's the metaphor. And he first comes into the entranceway in the living room. But the, the closets are kind of off limits and the bedroom's off limits. But when he comes into your living room, there's a mess there. You clean that up first. We know, in, in, in both in our inward attitudes and our outward actions, things that are wrong. This says, add to your faith goodness. I would have thought goodness would be the end of the list. That's the goal in our sanctification. To become holy, to become good. But we don't get there without taking the first step. By adding to our faith, I've received you, Lord uh, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. He says, okay, let's clean up this mess. What are some of the inward messes in our lives? There are three verses that I think if you would memorize and take to heart, it would help you grow as a Christian uh, perhaps faster than, than, than any others. Because they, boy, they just hit it on the head. I, I may use this for the rest of our time in Second Peter as the prayer of confession. It's a, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30, 31, and 32. In verse 30 it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. There's something there. You know, it, we went, the church went through a period of, of legalism you know, a generation or two back where if you do the right things, you follow the right list, then you're good with God. And there's kind of a rediscovery of the gospel of grace that our standing before God depends on his grace, not on our goodness. There's a lot of churchianity in the uh, old legalism, and that's still around in, in a lot of places. But there's maybe been a pendulum swing so far that we don't just say, God loves us unconditionally. We did not earn his love and favor. That is unmerited and unconditional grace. To say, therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. God is just as pleased with me if I do the right thing or not. He's just as pleased with me. That's an overstatement. You see that? We get it in our families. When you look at your children... Do you say, I love you, and I love you unconditionally? That's the way we ought to be. We're not perfect parents. But do you say that to your children, and therefore, and then they say, okay, it doesn't matter if I obey you. So wait a minute, because I love you, I'm going to teach you how to do the right thing. And you may displease me, but it won't shake my love for you. In the prayer of confession, from the Westminster Confession of Faith, it refers to how we may incur God's fatherly displeasure. He doesn't withdraw himself from us, but we may not yet please him. Hmm. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30, with whom you were sealed. We can grieve God. And what grieves God? The next verse tells us, first things, get rid of all bitterness, 
and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You don't have to be more than a baby Christian to know those things are wrong, do you? It's a first thing to tend to. Now, you know, bitterness and rage and anger may be reaction to some injustice done to you. Somebody has wronged you. Somebody has hurt you. And you feel justified in having that. But it, it, it grows into your life until it expresses itself in every form of malice. You don't have to have justification for malice. It's just corroded your heart. Add to your faith goodness. Well, how do we do that? What's the key to do that? That's verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's not forgiving each other when they deserve it. It's not forgiving one another when they grovel in repentance and really ask for it and they finally get it. It's not forgive one another when they just tip the hat to, 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 to confess confession. And then they give that half-hearted thing, but at least something. So now you can forgive them. It's forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. And that's the key to free you from uh, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling slander, and every form of malice. Add to your faith goodness. Clean up your heart and those attitudes. Because those will make you stuck in the infant stage of faith. And add to goodness, knowledge. How do we grow in knowledge? By the study of the Bible. In the study of the Bible, we can do it personally and privately, but we don't only do it personally and privately. The Bible tells us, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together in Hebrews chapter 10. But let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. When we gather together, we help each other grow in our knowledge of what God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. And then we kind of circle all the way back. We trust in God and his grace and as we learn more of him. And we add goodness. We clean up that room. In my heart, Christ's home, Jesus says, okay, now let's go into the bedroom. Let's clean up that room. Now let's go to that closet. That's, as we grow in knowledge, we are opening the doors of our lives to say, oh, that's what you want, God. Thank you for your grace. Help me to clean this up by the power of your spirit so I can add goodness to that. And you grow in knowledge and you're growing up as a Christian. The next one is self-control. Why self-control? It's because as you grow in knowledge, you begin to discover that even though you delighted in your salvation and you turned to, to follow Christ, it doesn't come naturally to follow Christ. The old nature is always with you. The Bible tells us to put off the things that belong to the sinful nature and to put on the things that are godly, that are, that are pleasing to, to God. So we uh, have to have self-control. Jesus said, if anyone would be my, be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So don't expect it to come naturally. You need to have self-control. Don't do what you want to do. Do what Christ wants you to do. And you'll find delight in that. Add to self-control, perseverance. I hate that word, perseverance. It implies that Tomorrow, the next day, the next year, 10 years from now, we're still going to be in the same struggle of denying ourselves to follow Christ. We need to persevere in our faith. 
And as we persevere in our faith, it's like physical exercise. It's like sports exercise. We do grow stronger. It becomes more the automatic spiritual response, just like the automatic muscle memory in, in sports. And it does help us, but we have to persevere uh, in these things. And at this point, we might start, uh, you think, that's it. I'll persevere, and then I'll go to heaven. Well, no, there's more to this list. Add to perseverance godliness. It has the aspect, a root aspect of the word of reverence to God. You see, with, with self-control and perseverance, we can start thinking, this is what I'm doing. I'm applying myself. I'm making every effort, and I'm persevering. And we, we can become moralistic. We can start measuring ourselves against others and say, I'm doing better than you are. And we can, we can forget the faith that we began with. We need to remember godliness, a reverence in all of life. You know, when you come to church, it's, we can so easily slip into the old nature ways. When you come to church, we should be aware that God is present here. He's with us everywhere. He's present with us here. And the big issue is not, does this church please me? The big issue is, is God pleased with me? That's reverence. And to leave church, to go to work tomorrow, and to handle those responsibilities, to go to school tomorrow, and handle those responsibilities and those relationships. And instead of thinking, is this working for me? He's saying, is God pleased with me? That's godliness. That's reverence in every area of life. And so we have that attitude. That's, it's a vertical attitude. And as we are godly, the Bible tells us, you can't say, I love God and yet hate your brother. In First John, it says, the one who says, I love God, but I hate my brother, but he hates his brother. He's a liar and the truth is not in him. So godliness leads to how we treat others. That's brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness kindness is not just the right actions. Underneath that is add to brotherly kindness, love. And this is something that is a cycle in our lives. It's not like we get to the end and we've accomplished it. Because the, the verse says, those who possess these things in increasing measure we grow in all of these areas as we go on in life as we grow up as a christian then the passage concludes i know with three ministry moments and me worrying about being ineffectual and unproductive and i'm looking at the clock well i look at my watch it's only five after 11 i've got plenty of time (laughs) this morning we got started late with three ministry moments bring it to a conclusion at the end but don't tune out it says therefore my brothers be all the more eager It's that same word in verb form as make every effort. The noun effort is a verb here. Be eager to make your calling and election sure. There's a paradox here. A paradox because if if it's election and calling and God's sovereign, then how are we making it sure? Read it this way. How can you know your faith is genuine? How can you know it's genuine if it's producing this kind of fruit? If, if you do these things, if this message, if this passage is resonating with you, you can know the struggle. You can know that there's an old nature. You may be frustrated with yourself. You may not feel like you're very strong as a Christian. You may be humble. I think the way Peter was humbled after disowning Christ 
three times. That humility is a good thing. But you can know that God has called you and chosen you because he's given you desires that you would not have in your old nature. Make, be all the more eager to make your election and calling sure. The one who professes faith but never follows Christ should not have assurance of his salvation because it's not showing fruit. The one who's just, it may just be outward. He may be one that, uh, when Jesus says, says it, Judgment Day, says, they'd say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Don't, don't be that person. If it worries you, that's good evidence that he's given you a heart not to be that person that you want to follow, Christ. Make your election and calling sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Written by Peter, who disowned Christ three times. It doesn't mean that we will never fall in a day's event. It does mean, ultimately, we're in Christ's hands. Jesus, the one who was disowned by Christ was restored by Christ. And he was writing this letter, saying, God will not fail you uh, in this. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would write this passage on our hearts. And wherever our sticking point is in growing up as a Christian, that we would tend to it by the power of your Spirit. That this would be uh, you know, something when we uh, do like David did, who had great victory over Goliath. He, he sinned with Bathsheba. I pray that you would always draw us back to yourself. Remind us of your grace and let us uh, begin to, to grow again. And Father, I pray that it would be our heart's desire that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we would make every effort to grow up in our faith, that we would be eager to show the genuineness of our faith by these things, that you would be pleased with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.